But in the series, we've been really kind of our focus verse has been Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And so I'm going to give you my, my version of this scripture. And this is how I would write it, is that watch over and guard your heart, for the condition of your heart is going to determine your future. There's a direct connection. Whatever's happening in your heart, which in this series we've been talking about root killers, and that's really what it's all about. It's about things that will attack us at a heart level that the enemy will try to use to get us off course. And all of these things are detours that the enemy will bring into our life to try to get us off of what God has for us. So like last week, we were talking about forgiveness or unforgiveness and bitterness and offense and holding a grudge. And anybody make a hit list this week? Anybody cross anybody off your hit list this week? That's even more, you know. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I had a few people sending me messages this week and so about that. But I wanna read you a couple of scriptures and I believe this is why this series really matters. Uh, I haven't shared this verse with you yet, but I believe that it really speaks to uh, why it matters. It comes out of Mark chapter 4. I've actually had it in my notes the last three weeks, and each week I just bump it to the next week, bump it to the next week, because I'm like, I don't have time. And, uh, but here in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus said to them, being the disciples, he says, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, which is the parable of the seed, the sower, Uh, which you could go read the verses prior to this, but I just want to give you the the meat of it. He says, how will you understand all the other parables? So Jesus actually makes a huge statement right here. He says, if you don't understand this meaning, how can you understand anything else that I've told you? It's the principle of the seed. And understanding that the seed that he's referring to is actually the word of God. And he says, so this is the meaning of of the parable, the story that Jesus told them. He said, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. He said, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. So in other words, you come to church, you hear somebody like me, maybe preach, you go to a small group, you, you know, you're encouraged. And like, but before you even get to your car, the enemy's already trying to take that word from you. Why? Because God's word will produce in our life if it can get root. So the enemy sometimes, I mean, you know, you may come to church and be discouraged and, and you come in church and, man, you get in praise and worship and you get encouraged and you're like, man, I can make it this week until you get to work tomorrow morning. And then it's like discouragement and regret. You're like, why did I even come today, right? It hits. And so the enemy comes at once to steal that word that's been sown into our heart. He said the seed that fell on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Man, they're excited, man. God's going to do something. And man, I believe God's going to work on my behalf. He says, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last very long. In other words, the heat of like the sun comes in and scorches the, you know, why? Because the root system couldn't support what was happening against it. It says, so it goes on. It says, they soon fall or they, they soon fall fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted. So in other words, as soon as any kind of resistance comes, they're like, oh, they back off. It says the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who receive God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out, or another way to say this is the message is choked out. The message gets choked out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire of other things, so no fruit is produced. 
ultimately, that's the enemy's plan for all of us. He wants to make sure we produce no fruit for the kingdom of God by any means necessary. And so here it says that what? That there are things that will choke out other desires that will choke out the seed, the, the, the word of God that's been sown into our life. He says that, but there is a fourth type of seed and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much that which has been planted. That's the seed what? That, that falls in, it takes root, it begins to grow God begins to work, and it's amazing. But how many of you know that the same seed was sown on all four soils? So the harvest was not dependent on the seed. The harvest was dependent, or let me say it this way, the fallout, if you want to say it that way, had nothing to do with the seed that was sown. It had everything to do with the soil in which it landed in. And the reality is is that all of us are some version of one of these four. Maybe a blend, depending on the areas of our life. And so that's why it's important that we look at our heart. Why? Because our heart is where the seed of the word of God is being sown. And we want it to, what, have maximum production in our life. But what can happen is, is that it can get choked out very easily. I mean, that's what it said. All too easily, the seed can get choked out All the nourishment that it needs could be choked out simply because of life, life that comes our way. So it affects the, 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 and it's exactly what it said there, is that these, these concerns of life can what? They'll affect the roots. And so we're talking about things that affect the roots of our life. And so it's important that we realize this. And so here in the third one, it talked about that there were thorns and it talked about worries of life, the lure of wealth. The desire for other things. I mean, in all of the, and we, we all face these things. And I believe that some of the root of this ultimately comes back to self. I mean, the original sin was not the eating of the apple. It was actually the elevation of self over God. That was the original sin. And we all deal with this. All of us. It's the human condition, and without the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be selfish. If you, I, I've got a one-year-old. If you don't believe that we all are selfish, let me introduce you to her. You know, last week, we had a fellowship. How many of you came out Sunday night? Man, the Lord was gracious to us and gave us some nice weather. And my child, I found out later, was a thief, was a chip bandit. If you turned your head, she would just walk up and take your bag of chips and walk off and eat your chips. Why? Because she thought they were hers. She's one. I didn't have to teach her that. She's one. See, we all can lean this way if we're not careful. So the, the whole goal, and, and this is important, if you're, is to not be selfish but to be selfless. In other words, you need to think of yourself less. Now, This is an important thing I need to communicate to you, though. It's not thinking less of yourself. In other words, insecure. It's considering other people first. That's what I mean by being selfless. Less of myself. Being more concerned and more thoughtful and aware of others than I am myself. Why why, why is this such an important thing in our life? Because when I focus on others, God focuses on me. 
When, I'm take, when, I, when I make it, it, why? Because that's the heart of God. He loved, therefore he gave, John three sixteen. We are called to love, therefore we are to give of ourselves All the time. But here's the thing, is that if we will give of ourselves, God will provide everything that we have need of. And we're talking about heart. I don't mean just natural. The natural stuff is secondary. I don't want all the money in the world and have a bankrupt heart. I, I would rather have not as much money and a full heart and a full life. Why? Because that's where true joy, where true happiness, where true fulfillment. See, as, we're, as we actually begin to look into others and, and to sow into other people, we actually find fulfillment. The very purpose. I mean, we talk about that a lot. We want people to what? Know God. Discover a purpose. Make a difference. You're going to be hearing more. We're adding one. It's called find freedom. And that one's important. And we're going to be talking more about that in the future. But we want you to what? Find your purpose. Here's what I can tell you. Every one of us are called. Every single one of us are called to influence people and to make a difference. I know that. Without question. Every single. Now, how that looks for every one of us may be different. But that's God's plan for every one of us. And so we, ha- we want to be careful, though, is that because I believe that if we can think of ourselves less, we can be used by God more. I really believe that. And, and so, you know, but I also know that one of the, the byproducts, if you want to say it this way, of selfishness is greed. Now, if I ask most of us in the room, how many of you think you're a greedy person? Nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, that's me. You know, that, that's me. But selfishness actually leads to greed, which is what? An unhealthy desire for more. It's really what it is. That's what greed is. The definition of greed is actually a selfish or an excessive desire for more of something than even what is needed. That's, the, that's how you, that's the way greed is defined. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who's considered one of the wisest men to ever live, made this statement comes out of Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, the one who loves money is never satisfied with money. Isn't that interesting? He who loves money is never satisfied with money. But we think, if I had more money, I wouldn't have as many problems. Or at least I could fix a lot of things. And yet, here, Solomon, unbelievably wise man, says, he who loves money is never satisfied with money. You know, I've sat, had the opportunity to sit down with businessmen who were successful. And one of the things that I have heard multiple times over and over and over, you know, they'd say things like, man, if I, if I just believed if I could make $75,000, that's all I would ever need. And then I made $75,000, I made $125,000. And I thought, man, if I could just get to $125,000. And then they thought, well, shoot, I didn't realize how much taxes I had to pay. I got to make $250,000. And here's, without fail, they've always said the same thing. It's never enough. It's never enough. Okay, but what's the motivation behind the it's never enough? Is it just so we can have more toys, more trinkets, more stuff? He goes on here, he says, so whoever loves money will never be satisfied with money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. He says, this too is futile. It's like, this is all pointless. So frustrating. He's given us wisdom here, but he says, look, if our pursuit is just to get what we want, it'll never be enough. You'll never have a nice enough car, a big enough house, 
Because here's the thing, if you can't be content with what you got, you won't be content when you get something else. You won't. I know in your mind you think, well, that's just not true. If I just had, I'm telling you, that's a lie of the devil. That's causing you to press for things as opposed to just trusting that God will bring you the blessings that that he desires. Because the truth is, is that God wants better things for us than we do. But we have to trust him and in his timing. It's important. There was a, a moment where some people approached Jesus in, in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 15. But they came and asked Jesus about a, a, an inheritance. And it says that someone calls to Jesus and says, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide my father's estate with me. Like, give me mine. Like, this is my inheritance. And Jesus responds and says, Friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Now that's an issue of the heart. And Jesus continues and says, Life is not measured by how much we own. And I'm not going to read the rest of this passage, but there's a whole story where he talks about a rich man who had had all this stuff and didn't have room to store it. He's like, well, I'm going to go build me new barns. And, and, and Jesus says that God looks at him and says, you're a fool because tonight your life is over. And who's going to get all your stuff? Why? Because he thought his life was about his stuff, not realizing his life was over. See, sometimes we can be, make it a pursuit of things, of stuff, and it's not just money. You know, you don't have to have money to be greedy. How many of you know that? You can be dead broke and be greedy. Why? Because it has nothing to do with numbers. It has to do with heart. It's heart. One of the things that, that, that selfishness and greed can lead us to is tunnel vision. You ever seen, like, the racehorses with blinders? The problem is, is that it, it, it begins to bring a blindness to us, and we, forget, we begin to miss things that we should be catching, but all we can focus on is that one thing, that just that, that and it will drive us. See, selfishness keeps us looking at what we want and keeps us from seeing all the blessings that we already have. I mean, just as an example, when we lived in Kansas, there was a town that was flattened. 95% of the town was gone by a tornado. If you went there today, the leaves still grow this away off the trees because it was an F5 tornado. came through in the middle of the night. And we had people in the church that I served out there who survived. They were in their basement. They came out and their house was gone. Everything they owned, gone. And I can't tell you how thankful they were that they were alive. Because that's, they said, that's just stuff. doesn't matter. They found a few pictures. A few. They said, it doesn't matter. And sometimes we can make it so important about what I have and what I want and all these types of things. And we miss out on what God has. I believe that when we're really self-focused... That we miss out on opportunities, but we also miss moments. Now, this one's pretty right in my lane right now because I have little kids at home, and I can be so busy doing and pursuing things while I'm missing the opportunities of watching my kids grow because they change overnight. I see that, and I've got a four-year-old. 
And everybody tells me, before you know it, they're going to be walking them down the aisle. And I'm like, I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to think about that. But there's missed moments. And, and yet I just, just because I'm focused on what I want could actually miss out on much of my children growing up if I'm not careful. Because, again, I, I'm a bit of a driver. And I like the accomplishment and doing things. That, but I don't want to miss moments. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6, it talks about and gives us instructions. And it says that true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. He says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world. And we can't take anything out with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Be content and trusting God. Now listen to this. He gives us a warning. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation. That's an unhealthy desire of things, of stuff. There's nothing wrong with money. I kind of like it. There's nothing, I mean, you know, and I'll show you this because some of you think, well, oh, the love of money. The money is, is the root of evil. Well, that's not what the Bible says. We'll look at it here in a second. It says, those who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. Just because we want something doesn't mean it's good for us. I mean, if it was up to my kids, their diet would consist of like gummy bears, you know. I mean, all this, and I'm like, you, I mean, we're like the negotiating stage now. Like, you can have some gummy bears if you eat some nuggets. Like, you know, that's, that's my son's a little negotiator. And so he's like, how, how, how many nuggets? <laughs> I'm like, just eat the dumb nuggets. But maybe I should tell him for each nugget, you get one gummy bear. Like, you get one. We're going to do an even swap. He's like, bags? Like each bag? No. I can't wait till my daughter starts talking because, whoo, praise the Lord. Y'all pray for me. Y'all pray for me. It says that we can be trapped, though, by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge into ruin and destruction. That doesn't sound good at all. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So money is not evil. Money takes on the personality of the person who possesses it. That was really good, by the way. You, you can write that down. You can throw it up on the internet later. Is that money takes on the attitude of the person who possesses it. Is my money holy? Is money holy? Depends. Whose hands it in? In my hand, it becomes holy. In other people's hands, maybe not. Money is just money. It's, it's a tool. It's a resource. It's not good or bad. But it goes on. It says, and some people craving money, like this unde- unbelievable desire for money, have even wandered from the true faith. See, your heart may be pure, and you may not have had any money, but you get a little bit of money. And what happens is you're like, hey, I kind of like having some money. I need a lot more of that. And you can begin to make things happen. The ultimate goal for a believer is this, I believe, is to be blessed beyond your wildest dreams and to say, I have no idea how God got me here. I just know it was him. I'm not this smart. 
I'm not this good. I didn't make all this happen. God gave me favor and opened up a door that I knew was too big for me, but I walked through it, and God's grace helped me to do it. And God kept opening doors for me, and God kept giving me favor with people, and God did it, not me. That's how you protect your heart. You make sure that you're not the one producing the life that you need. So so some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. And here's such a powerful statement. And they pierced themselves with many sorrows. They've caused harm to themselves. So we have to pay attention. It goes on here and it says, but you, Timothy... I love this. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. Now, their relationship is interesting because Paul was like the father. Timothy was like his spiritual son. And here's what I want to tell you is that you can actually live life along the lines of what the Bible instructs us to do. Why? Because you are a man or a woman of God. Never let the enemy tell you any different. You are treasured. By God your Father, who wants to bless you, who wants you to to enjoy. The Bible actually says that he gives us all things richly in abundance to enjoy. God has no problem with us being blessed at all. I will unapologetically say that. Here's how I know, though, if I have my stuff or or if it has me. If God ever asked me for it, could I give it away? If the answer is no, it has me and I don't own it. That's an important thing. You're like, who has my money? Do I own it or does it own me? I don't know. If God asked you for $1,000, would you write the check? Some of you are like, $1,000, I wouldn't give ten. You might want to check your heart. Look, I'm telling you this as your pastor. The Bible says my responsibility is to what? Watch over your souls because guess what? I'm going to stand before God for it. And I don't want to stand there and him say, why didn't you say this? Why didn't you tell him that? You could have really helped him if you'd have just been honest and told him what I said in the word. I want to be able to stand before God and say, God, I told him your word. I did everything I knew to do. I used every resource I knew how. To make sure that the word of God was sown into their heart. That it would produce. So Paul tells Timothy. You are a man of God. He said so run from these evil things. He says but pursue righteousness. A godly life along with faith. Love. Perseverance and gentleness. I said this a moment ago. But I'm going to say it another way. But is that. What happens when we allow selfishness to rule our life. Is that it magnifies what we don't have but it also minimizes what we do have. You know, like, let me, like there's probably some things that maybe you believed God for in the past. Like I, I kind of use this as, an, as a joke many times, but it's kind of like, you know, you, you want a new big TV? Let me remind you when you believed God for the TV you had and how joyful that you were when you were able to get that new TV. But now you're walking through the store and you're like, hmm, I need that one. Let me, just think about this. How many things have we been thankful for that we prayed for that today we neglect? Because we've forgotten. 
See, because that's what this selfishness, this, this press, it minimizes what we already have. It maximizes what we don't, and it minimizes what we do. See, there's a principle in Scripture. We see it multiple times, and I don't have time to really dig into it, but I want to share it with you, is that sometimes we can pursue what we think we need at the expense of what's really most important. I'll give you one biblical example of this. There was a man named Esau who was the firstborn son, which in Jewish culture actually meant a double portion of the inheritance. And the Bible says that he gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup. His stomach, literally. He said, this was his response when his brother said, give me your birthright, because his brother was a cook. He was a hunter. The problem was the hunter couldn't cook his own food, but the brother was a good cook. And he said, you hungry? Take a whiff. And he's like, yes, I'm starving. And he says, give me your birthright. And the response was this. What good is it going to do me if I'm about to die? The Bible says that he whipped, wept bitterly later because he had given up his birthright. Now, the Bible says that we've been born anew. How many of us are forfeiting our birthrights as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ for things that are just momentary, temporary? That if we could hit the rewind button, we would never make that decision again. Because we make temporary decisions that have permanent ramifications. And it's just in that moment. You can go read this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, 17, Genesis 25. It's, it, there's accounts there if you want to know about that. And so, you know, sometimes, let me, and I'm going to throw this out there. I'm just kind of giving you some highlight things because I don't have time to really dig into them today. But, you know, sometimes we can actually mask greed and selfishness as this, is just ambition. Well, I'm just a really ambitious person. Well, I'm an ambitious person, but I also know that there's been times the Holy Spirit told me to stop. Like, not right now. Like, I'll give you an example of this. When me and Dara lived in Arkansas, we were flipping houses. We did it multiple times. We made money every time. And then I felt like the Lord said, don't do it again. And everybody's going, oh, you're going to go get another one, aren't you? Surely. I mean, you know, I, you know. Realtors are calling and said, hey, where's your next one? We had kind of developed a, a, a bit of a reputation, if you will, that we did quality work and we did nice product, nice homes. But I knew the Lord told me not to. When we moved here, I would have been in the middle of that same house. But in the natural, everything said, doesn't matter what you do, just go get a house, somebody's going to buy it. But yet I knew in my heart, and everybody was just asking me, asking, oh, should I do this, should I do this, should I do this? And I'm like, no, I knew the Lord told me to do the other ones. I I don't think I'm supposed to right now. I didn't know why. Six months later, I did. And I'm so thankful, because you know how much pressure that would have added to me? To try, because I mean, it would have added an immense amount of pressure to try to finish up a project while I'm pastoring a church, while we're merging a church, while we're looking at moving. You see, I'm sitting there spinning plates, and God's like, I never called you to spin that plate. And we're going, God, help. And he's like, I tried to tell you. I tried to warn you. But looking in the natural, it would be easy. And so, I, like I said, I can be ambitious. That's just a nice, pretty word for saying, I, I, I lean towards greedy. 
sometimes. That's just a nice way of saying that. But we've got to pay attention to the Holy Spirit speaking in our hearts. Paul gave us a warning in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. He says, be free from a, a pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. He says, don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. Let God bring your increase. Don't make it happen. He says, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourself. Abandon every display of selfishness. Abandon it. Have nothing to do with it. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us and let his mindset become your motivation. Now, I would encourage you to go read Philippians chapter 2 hereafter because it talks about how Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He, he talks about that. The message translation says it this way, of verses 3 and 4. It says, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your, getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. See, if you really want to know how to deal with selfishness, this is how you do it. And this is whether it be in a financial sense, whether it be in a relational sense. It, it, you know, like I'm going to use the, the relationship side. If I want to be a better husband to Dara... I need to stop thinking about me and start thinking more about her. That's how I'll be a better husband. If I want to be a better father, I need to think more about not just what I'm doing, but how this affects my kids. And if I'll think about that first, I'll be a better father. It's a byproduct. I don't have to just be, just the fact of being present makes a big difference. But giving, be, having that mindset of, of just living a generous life that I give and I, I sow into other people. Not just money, but my time, who I am. That I teach the lessons that I've learned. Not just from the pulpit, in relationships. Some of you in this room may be wondering... I think God may be done with me. No, he's not, because you have tons of experience of which God wants you to impart to a next generation so that they can go further and faster than you did. So God is not done with you, but yet selfishness will talk you out of what God has for you and be like, well, I guess my day's passed. Show me that in Scripture. God still has a purpose in every season of life. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25 it says, to give freely and become even more wealthy. Be stingy and you will lose everything. It says, the generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Those who minister to others. You know, you're going to have an opportunity. I guess I'll plug this since I'm here. We need some people to lead some life groups in the fall. You may say, well, I can't do that. I've got this and that. And that might be the very reason why you need to lead. Because those who minister to others will themselves be ministered to. It's a spiritual principle. And you cannot tell me it's not true. It's scripture. So you might be scared out of your mind. You're a perfect candidate. 
Why? Because that means God's going to have to do it through you. See, this really speaks of two of our values around here. We have seven core values, but two of them, one of them is generosity, which we talk about, and the other one's making a difference. How do I live a generous life? Think about myself less. How do I make a difference? Think of others more. If I just was thinking about other people more, I would, I'd make a difference. Why? Because I would be aware. I'd be paying attention to those around me. Now, as I close this morning, I want to share a story with you. It's kind of a tale or whatever you want to say. It's not a real um, story, but it, it illustrates a point that I believe can really help us this morning. I want to tell you the story of a king who had four wives. I have one. I'm not getting another one, but the story... I do good to take care of the one I have. That's, a, that's another sermon. Story of a king who had four wives. The first wife that he married, they got married young, but he kind of despised her, ne- neglected her, didn't take care of her. The second one, they had a good relationship. They liked each other. They kind of hung around each other. They, you know, it was good. Nothing amazing. The third wife, though, was the one that he wanted to show off to everybody. He was proud. Like his trophy wife, you know, just real proud. But the fourth wife that he had is the one that he was obsessed with. Like just, he gave everything to her. He lavished her with gifts, gave her everything. But the weird thing was is she didn't really care for him much. Even though he did all this stuff for her, she didn't really give him a lot of attention. But a time came that he became critically ill like to the point of death. And so he goes to this fourth wife and he, he runs to her because he thinks, man, I've done all this, I've spent all this money, I, I've done all these gifts, I, I've had all this stuff and I've taken care of her. And he asks her, he says, my love, will you escort me into eternity? Will you come with me? She says, no, I'm not going anywhere with you. No way. I don't even like you. Why would I? No. So he goes to his third wife and he asks, and he says, my love, will you, will you escort me into eternity? And she says, no. But she even added a little insult with it. As a matter of fact, not only will I not go with you, but when you die, I'm going to go run into the arms of another one. I'm going to go get me a new man. So he goes to the second wife and they'd had a good relationship. I mean, they were really, there was a connection and a bond there. And so he asked her, he says, will you escort me into eternity? She says, I I won't, but I'll go to the grave. But I'm going to leave you there. In other words, I'm going to attend your funeral. But but you're going to have to go on from there. So obviously discouraged, he goes to his fourth wife, and she had been neglected, and she hadn't really been taken care of, and almost kind of forgotten. And he asked her, and he says, my love, will you go with me into eternity? And she says, yes, I will go with you to the grave and beyond. He says, I've always been committed to you. He started to cry and told her that I wish that I'd treasured you my whole life. And taken care of you, I should have given you everything. See, the truth is, is that we all have these four queens in our lives right now. Whether we realize it or not, we all have these same four queens. These things that we put importance on. The fourth one that we give so much attention to is our body. 
spend all this effort, all this energy. We try to, you know, take care of it and maintain it and dress it and all these types of things. But the truth is that it's not going to eternity with us. This body will stay here. And yet, how much time, how much energy do we focus on it? I mean, how much time do we spend going to the gym and never consider our inner man, our heart? The third one is our stuff, our possessions. We love to display them. Get a new car, get a new house, get new this, get new that. We want to show it off, take pictures and Posting selfies, you know, out on the lake with my new boat. Look at the bass I caught. You know, it's awesome. The reason you get the big fish, by the way, is because of the new bass boat. But that's also another sermon. Since we love to display it to the world, but when it comes time, they'll simply go into the arms of another. They're not going with us. They're they're going to somebody else. We call it inheritance. (laughs) But look at all the stuff they bought. It's awesome. It's not going with us. We read that scripture. We came into this world with nothing. We're going to leave with nothing. The second queen, if you will, is our friends and our family. That really do love you. They really do care. My prayer is that you have a good relationship. And the truth is they'll go with you to the grave. But they can't go beyond that with you. They can't. So we come back to this. This first wife, which this represents our our spirit, our heart. It's the one that's actually really committed to us beyond this life. But yet many of us can neglect our hearts and at the expense of everything else, we take care of our bank accounts, our bodies. We'll take care of everything else before taking care of our hearts. And yet... That's the one that actually matters. Because that's the only one going with me to heaven. That's what I'm going to stand before God with. Not the load of, here's my possessions. Look what I did. The Bible says that when we stand before the Lord, we will be laid bare. In other words, there is no hiding. Our whole life will be there in a moment. See, what if we made a shift, though, in our life? That's what this series is all about. I'm pointing things out. Why? Because I care about the condition of your heart even before I tell you to go make a difference. Although I believe we should make a difference. I believe that when we are, are, are whole and well, we can make a greater difference. But what if we made a shift in our mentality and we made a commitment to have a healthy heart that knows God? That that was our commitment, that I'm going to know God. I'm going to get rid of some of these distractions. I'm going to remove some of these things out of my life that aren't that important because they're not that important. They're not eternal. They're not forever. And my encouragement to you is to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Say, Holy Spirit, show me the things in my heart. Show me the things in my life that that maybe aren't what they need to be because I need to make sure that my heart is ready to receive God's word when it's sown so that it produces the harvest that God desires, that I don't want it to get choked out by all these other things. I don't want it to be a distraction from all these things because that's what really matters. Would you bow your head, please?